0: On today's episode of BRC and Friends, I sit down with Elisa Charles-Finley, the sister of Botham Jean and the author of the book, After Botham, Healing from My Brother's Murder by a Police Officer. Not only do we talk about the death of her brother and her work with other families who have lost loved ones to police violence, we talk about writing, parenting, and what keeps us whole in times of struggle. Thanks for being here, grab a beverage, pull up a chair, and enjoy listening to my conversation with Elisa Charles-Finley. My name is Bruce reyes Chow, and this is BRC and Friends. Each episode, my co-hosts and I chat with activists, artists, academics, and adventurers to discuss politics, faith, pop culture, technology, and as we'll discover, pretty much everything that pops into our heads. This is basically an excuse for us to hang out with friends and colleagues and riff about things that matter. Welcome to BRC and Friends. And welcome to BRC and friends. I'm really excited about uh, talking with uh, a fellow author with with, uh, Chalice Press, uh, another person on the roster there. We love Chalice, they're such a lovely place. But um, today uh, I'm talking with Alyssa Charles Finley uh, who um, wrote a book, that uh, is titled After Botham Healing from My Brother's Murder by a Police Officer. Uh, many of us heard about this story. Um, I am, uh, I don't know what the right adjective is. I'm, I'm grateful to be able to speak to you about the book and about you and about how all of this came about. Uh, so, but first, let's do some introductions. Would love for you just to introduce yourself. Uh, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are, all those kinds of things.
1: OK, well, thank you for having me, one. My name is Elisa Charles Finley. I am the sister of both Botham Um I am currently in Dallas, Texas, because them um, lived in Dallas. Loved Dallas. Um, tomorrow is actually his 32nd birthday. And to celebrate, we always do this red tie gala, because um, red was his favorite color. And that is on Saturday the 30th, so I'm here in Dallas. Um, However, I do live in New York, New York City, Queens. Um, Born and raised in Saint Lucia, which is a small Caribbean island. (laughs) Um, Blue skies, blue sea, beautiful. Um, And I am currently raising three sons. So that's a little about me. (laughs) Oh
0: wow, three, three, three. I have three children myself, three, three daughters. Mm -hmm. So uh, different, different experiences. (laughs) But three is. You know, when when we had two, when when my wife got pregnant with the third, somebody told us, oh, it's easy. And they lied. That, they lied. Uh, like, they lied. I was like, three, like that <laughs> rocks your world. Yeah. Just, oh, uh, she's, she's- I think every
1: pregnancy is different. Every child is different. They come with their own personalities and <laughs> it's, yeah, I, you never duplicate <laughs> an experience. Oh.
0: <laughs> exactly. It's like three just becomes, and then everything is like the youngest. Like, it's so funny. We we have very stereotypical oldest, middle, youngest, like all of the family structure. And it's, it's just terrible to just listen to them talk about, you know, that there's a six-year difference between our oldest and youngest about what the youngest gets away with and all right. kind of things. <laughs> and I'm a, my, my wife and i are like, well, we're older and lazier now. So yes, she does get away with much more. Is
1: Sorry. that it? Is that it? Yeah, I oh, think yeah. that's, no, because I, I go through the same thing with my youngest. It's like,
0: oh, he's fine. It's fine. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it will be okay. I'm sure it's fine. But right. <laughs> my, my, the biggest thing is my oldest is always like, you would have never let us listen to that music in the car. And I'm like, yeah, probably not. That is true. Yeah,
1: that's
0: true. Music's yeah. changed, whatever. Like,
1: right.
0: it's just, <laughs> it hasn't changed. We could probably do a whole podcast on parenting threes. I just, yes. what does what, what that, what does that, what does that mean? Um, so, you know, I, I often, I often ask, you know, authors kind of what brought this book on, but obviously tragedy. Um, I, you know, our family unfortunately knows your story. Well, my brother-in-law was shot and killed and we, our family has had to deal with that. And it's, so it's always a, it's a, you know, it's a group of kind of experiences that folks don't really understand. But I'm right. I'm curious how did you how did you go about how did the book happen like how, how did this way of telling the story um, come to be?
1: Uh, so when both of um, my brother was killed, um, September six, two thousand eighteen, I went into well, first denial, mm. fear denial, and then anger. Um, a lot of people, you know, they tell you, you go through the stages of grief and, you know, time heals all wounds. Mm, Yeah. All the things. Yeah. All these, you know, little statements and I'm sitting there waiting for it to pass and it just wasn't, um, both of them and I, we were very close. He was, um, the second of three, I'm the first and we had this tight relationship. I spoke to him almost every single day, um, mm. up until the last day on his, on his last day on earth. I spoke to him up until he got into the apartment. Um, so to receive a call from Baylor University Hospital, you know, just a few hours later, like, asking me to identify him over the phone was shocking. Um, so I, I held on to my anger for a while for years because i did not want to feel the pain and i noticed by year three i was just i was someone that i didn't recognize Mm. i lost my faith in god and my family born and raised (laughs) christians Mm. um members of the church of christ even before i was born and i i really started to question my faith um and it wasn't healthy but was, i didn't recognize myself it wasn't a, help, a healthy place for me so the book came about when i i started getting therapy um and my therapist advised me to journal it actually gave me homework for me to journal and i started writing down my feelings it was hard but it really helped me release um the pain that I was holding on to. And that's where the book came about. And I felt like, you know, in talking to other family members of police brutality victims, we we go through similar things and everyone is looking for, you know, some sort of advice and we, you know, if we're all angry, we cannot get past it. And we mm-hmm. cannot get to a place where we could make this pain into something so that's, that's really why I wrote the book. Because um, a lot of people see, especially with the so-called high like, profile cases, a lot of people see um, the negative and, the you know, just about the case. Like, it's the surface of what we go through. Uh, so the book is really, so you can see the behind the scenes of what a family goes through. Um, and for me, it's, you know, I had to release the anger to get to, a place of peace and to work on my relationship with God to um, basically reintroduce myself to God and to my faith and to get to a, a point where I'm at peace. Mm.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, I I as I was scanning through the book, it was just, you know, you have a unique, like I can imagine people telling other people, you just need to stop being angry and do stuff. But having you tell that story and call that is very different than some random person that just doesn't like to see people angry, right. And doesn't want to see. And so that vulnerability that you offer, I mean, so, I mean, I think that that is part of what I was reading. It was like, there's, this is going to hit people who had experienced this so much differently than just, you know, me or somebody reading a book who may have a you know, like, tangential connection, but like not, not the same. And so, um, that part, um, so thank you for offering that to the world. Um, so as you've been, uh, as you've been, you know, talking about the book, I mean, what has there been like pushback? Like I'm trying to imagine folks who, I don't want you to tell this story. Like what, what are the critique, like are people pushing back on you telling the story or what has there been any of that? Or have folks been very kind of like, thank you, kind of every like, where where are you finding the tension between telling your brother's story and, and your family's story and uh, kind of helping things to move forward around police brutality and, and gun violence and all that?
1: Yeah, I haven't received any pushback um, about the book, thank God. Um, it has been very supportive, um, feedback from those who have read the book, those who have just seen that I wrote the book. It's been very positive, especially in my, my circle of, um, families of police brutality victims or, um, well, my family, St. Lucian's, it has been very, very positive. So I'm yeah. grateful for that.
0: Okay. Good. Good. So, tell me about your your so coming out of this. Tell me about the work around police brutality that you're doing, organizations and all of that. I mean how how are, how is this being transformed? Well, actually, let me back up before we get to that. Were you a writer before? I mean, I noticed in your bio that talks about you working in insurance things, but is was this just actually writing a book? I mean, obviously, you can tell your story, but were you a writer before this?
1: I mean, I I would love to. Be- <laughs> I would love to say that I was a writer before this because I've always loved writing creative okay. writing, ever since I was a little girl. Um, it has always been my favorite, favorite subject, um, English and literature. That that's my favorite, um, but never a book, never a full. I, I mean, I've written essays, <laughs> right. but never a book. So this was definitely um, new for me, yeah. a new experience. Um, but it definitely is a, I loved it. I love the experience.
0: Did you, did you like the first be- the first return of your manuscript or was yours perfect when you started in? Uh, cause <laughs> no. I, cause I remember getting the first one back and there. My editor was very gentle, like, cause they never know how your ego is going to do. And so they right. like, I remember mine saying, so there's a lot of red, like basically there's a lot. So just go through it and don't feel like, because I'm trying to tell a story and I'm like, this is, and then she's like, well, this would sound better. This, I mean, how, how was the whole process? Because in you in particular, right? You're telling like deeply your story and then having people kind of help you to edit that or tell it better. How was that experience just in itself?
1: So um, we did it a little different. I had this writer, Jeremiah Cobra, which is, oh my God, great, great guy, great person. Everyone should check him out. Um, The way we did it was I started from what I journaled. I gave him everything that I wrote. Um, And from that, he um, took it and expanded on it. So we had sessions where we spoke um, both in person and virtually, or I would record um, pieces for him and send it to him. um, And he would um, make magic out of it <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's how we did it and when the edit the edits came i just had him like you do it <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna turn to my, I'm i'm gonna somebody whoever's in the room and i get it back i could you i actually have said to my editor can i just hit accept all because i trust you and, <laughs> and she was like no you can't do that don't right. do that. You actually right. need to read through. Oh, that's that's awesome. Well it is like it is that whole thing it's like exercise or doing anything where there's a one point you're like, oh and then you get to the end and it's uh-huh. like, oh, oh, this is lovely. Like we, we did a thing. <laughs> did a thing. Uh, well, congratulations just on getting through that process. I mean, I think that yeah. so many people like think we they could do that, but I am like like when folks actually get to the end of that, that's, you know, mm-hmm. awesome. So right, congratulations on that. But anyway, let's go back to um, your organizations that you're involved with. And uh, so you're the president of Sisters of the Movement and talk a little about that around police brutality and what and the work that you're doing there.
1: Uh, so with Sisters of the Movement, I started that organization um, shortly after both them was killed because from my experience, um, a lot of emphasis is placed on the mother mm. of the victim. And I wanted an outlet where I wanted to speak with people that knew exactly what I was going through and that those are sisters of the victims. Um, so I started reaching out, um, through social media. I reached out to, to Tiffany Fletcher; She's a sister of Terrence Fletcher, who was killed in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, and reached out to a few sisters from all over. Sandra Bland's sister, um, Tatiana Jefferson's sister, right um, in Fort Worth, um, and we just came together. Mm. And with our our mission, our purpose is really to change laws, um, because with without having the, the proper policies in place, um, nothing will change we will continue going through this. And what people don't understand is when you have been through this trauma from losing your loved one, every time there is a, a new segment of another victim, it's triggering for you. So you're reliving it all over again. So our our main focus is to change laws on a federal level. We have been to can't tell you how many times we've been to DC and you know spoken to senators and just advocated for police reform, um, and we continue to do it because it it doesn't I mean it doesn't bring our loved ones back so we're really not doing it for us, right. um, but we're doing it for the next person. And like I said, I'm raising three sons, so I I want to make this place a little safer for them.
0: Yeah. What a I mean it's in, in a in a spiritual way, a beautiful coalition of people, but just horrendous about why you all have this connection, right? I mean, just we've, and we've seen over and over again, another, you know, black or brown body shot by police. And we, we continually see this on the news and it feels like there is almost a, a, a numbness to it. And, and, and so they're almost not like they're not even getting as much um you know, as much visibility as maybe they even used to, where it's fading so quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are you? What are you seeing around movement? How can folks um, either engage, re-engage? Like, what? Are, what's your call to action for people around police brutality?
1: My call to action is really is always um, speak to your lawmakers, write your lawmakers, um, because I've been strongly advocating for the. Justice and Policing, a.k.a. the George Floyd bill. Um, it passed the House and was killed in the Senate. And so now I don't accept that it's, it cannot be revived. Um, so I'm right now advocating again to have our House, current House representatives, reintroduce it and vote on it. I know it's a totally different house from the last time um, passed, but you know, anything is possible. So I'm still speaking with house representatives from Texas, from all over to reintroduce this bill um, and let's get it done. And I would advise anyone, um, no matter where you're from in the United States, to speak to your lawmakers, write them. We put them in office. So they, they kind of really have to listen to what we have to say. <laughs> Um, so speak to them, write to them, uh, and yeah, have them ask them, you know, vote yes for the just, I
0: I mean, it is a very different house now and, you know, and, and be interesting to see what those dynamics would be like, but why do you think, I mean, but you know, I I think folks will, the easy thing is like it's Republican Democrat, but we also, you know, there are a lot of Democrats that aren't willing to move this. It's not as if, Right, it's not as if it's this clean and cut kind of thing. But mm-hmm. what if you had to, you know, why It's kind of like gun reform for me. Like why I I I mean I I think I know it's just about money and power. Like that would be my my primary is like it's money and power that's based on racism and white supremacy and we are upholding that and that that feels like the right answer in some ways, but that's in many ways too simple, but like why do you like when you tell when people ask you why isn't this happening because it seems so clear money and and you, money like from police
1: qualified immunity so qualified immunity that's the reason why this bill was did not pass through the senate so um, for those
0: immunity. for those that don't know qualified immunity uh, go ahead <laughs> explain explain what that is for
1: folks So with qualified immunity, basically, it's who pays (laughs) for when um, there is a police brutality victim. Where does the money come from? Um, Right now, the families of victims, we're advocating to have financial burden placed on the police officer, Um, whether it be the funds come from their pension um, or they need to get uh, an insurance policy like doctors but they need to bear financial responsibility because right now if a, a police officer brutalizes someone on the street, it doesn't really phase them because oh the city pays for it or you know the police mm. department you know pays the victim and I go back on the street to the next victim. If there, if there's financial responsibility placed on that police officer, it will give them pause on brutalizing someone because they would think, well, if I do this, I don't have a pension when I retire.
0: Right. Yeah. And
1: don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't believe that all police officers are bad. I was raised, both of them myself, Brent, we were raised um, to respect police officers. I respect law enforcement. and I don't do not feel like the majority of police officers are are bad. I just feel like with any profession, teachers, doctors, nurses, whatever, there are some individuals in there that either abuse their their position or, they just should not be the police officers, right. because if you look at different victims, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, the officers that are responsible for these, these murders have multiple um, incidents on their on their fire. So it's not like, you know, this great guy and you know, this was just a one off. They have multiple. So that one person should not be on the force.
0: I I have not heard the comparison to doctors before around qualified me, but that makes total sense, right? I mean, a doctor is always probably thinking, how do I do this well? But the, somewhere in the back of their head is like, I know malpractice, like that's a thing. Mm-hmm. And so how do I make sure that I'm making the best decision? And it right. almost, you know, it it, you know, I think it limits their risk taking, right, in many ways, and which for the most part, that's what we want. And so that's an interesting and, – and I would say, like, the system has enabled folks to kind of get to this point, right? Where the system has said, we'll just cover for you. It's cool. And you right. can just keep re- – you can keep reoffending. Because if it was a doctor, they'd be gone, right? If they had 10 –
1: Exactly. Not just gone. but will be in jail.
0: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, like, that's the part that is just like – so you've, you're guilty and you're not going to jail. And I'm not a big incarceration person in general. Right. And, right and so like, but there are there just appears to be no ramifications for what is clearly
1: uh-huh. wrong. Right. I mean,
0: it's it's inferior. I mean, I'm you know, I mean, I think how how do you deal with this ebb and flow of anger and like how because you must sometimes just get angry again and yeah, like what what's what's your coping mechanism? How do you navigate? needing to talk to legislators in a certain way, maybe being in a certain place and just being super angry and, and being sad. And like, how do you navigate this whole thing? Because you're now in this journey and movement as a leader. Um, how, how do you kind of keep doing this?
1: I take it one day at a time. I mean, there are times when, um, just recently, last week actually, I was invited to D.C., for the congressional black caucus and you know i had my ticket and everything to go and the day came and i just i just did not feel like going i did mm-hmm. not feel like reliving my story again mm-hmm. um so i prioritized myself and i didn't go um a lot of things that helped me mentally is the One candy crush.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're one of those. Okay.
1: Yes. Like, if if there is a a high stress or something is going on, that's my go-to to to just... (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's all I am. I am so grateful. Like I have my own things. I'm not, I am so grateful though, that I never got into catty crush because there are times where like, and my, like my mom's into this new one and got my sister into it and they're playing like Bruce, you need to do this. I'm like, I'm not doing it. I know my personality enough. <laughs> I do not need another thing. Right. That, yeah. that's, I mean, but I think that's important. I mean, because as you've found yourself in this work, like I, and, and, I mentioned earlier that, you know, I think people feel like if you're in this social justice work or you're in this really intense kind of work, that that's all you do. And, right. and, and, and you can't maintain that intensity or that level of stuff all the time. Otherwise, you know, people around you will get tired of you. Your family <laughs> would probably like, <laughs> Kids would be like, okay, mom, that's that's not. Uh, but you know, I mean, so how are there other things you do to kind of bring center yourself, ground yourself, um, you know, to make sure that you're healthy, body, mind, bond, bond, and spirit, and in, in all of this, what what are the kinds of things that you do?
1: Um, well, one definitely, I, I continue my therapy. Um, I have a therapy session once a, a month. If I need more, I schedule more. Um, I like. Well, I've always enjoyed watching reruns of Friends. <laughs> That's my I don't know. I I really I don't tell a lot of people
0: because Oh, well this is now as I shared with you, I have millions of listeners. So now it's out there. Uh, it's so and, and- funny,
1: I told one person and they're like, "Oh, you don't look like a Friends type of person." And I'm like what?
0: Oh yeah. Lit, 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 litmus testing. Like, Oh, you can't watch friends. That's that's five white people in New York You, you clearly
1: can't watch that. Oh like Okay. Let me
0: ask you, what's your, if you just had to off the top of your head, two or three, your favorite episodes.
1: Oh my goodness. The, um, we were on a break. There's oh. so, um, they went to this in long Island Montauk when Phoebe went to see her biological mom.
0: Oh yes. Yes. Uh,
1: There's that one. Um, There is, oh my goodness, there's so many. Um, The Wedding. Oh. Right on time to officiate. (laughs) There's so many. And then so that kind of led me to currently watching The Morning Show on Apple TV because Jennifer Aniston is in there with um, Reese Witherspoon. So I started watching that. So... (laughs) <laughs>
0: I, I love Jennifer Aniston. I think she has has crafted her career so well. Like It just feels like she's made some good choice. My favorite Friends episode is Ross getting stuck in the bathroom with the leather pants.
1: Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, that's a sl- good
0: Oh, my. It's making a paste when he slaps it. Oh, my I-
1: God. <laughs> that's a good one. Also, Chandler, um, when he... Oh, uh, julia roberts when she guests and Ugh. she took his clothes and he he was just in the bathroom like what am i gonna do
0: <laughs> oh my gosh it's uh, we could probably do a whole podcast series do like a, a rewatch podcast series you do like the episode <laughs> and you have a little conversation Sorry. about them ever okay well you know now everybody's gonna come at you for watching friends so uh <laughs> you know my the millions of followers and my family they'll they'll, they'll be oh. right with you um, so, I, so it's funny you mentioned Apple TV because my wife and I, not for any political ideological reason, we have not got Apple TV because at one point we were like, we cannot pay for one more streaming service. Oh my
1: God. Yes. <laughs> I feel
0: like I, I like we have Paramount, we have Netflix. Like At one point we dropped everything because it was going to save us money if we just streamed. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like I, I just look at i like we that was what are we doing yeah and There's so
1: Hulu Plus oh yes There's Disney like oh my goodness
0: yeah we have them all except apparently we draw the line at Apple TV I don't know why but you're like you can't have, we're soccer people you haven't watched Ted last I'm like no because we we have drawn the line at that seven dollars a month. <laughs> It's, it's like totally random, but for some right. reason, my, my wife and I both held to that one. Like, we're not doing it.
1: <laughs> That's funny.
0: It's, oh my gosh, TV is That's totally take, taking over our lives and world. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, well, I, this is this has been great. Well, my last question for you as we kind of end up our time. Uh, what do you... We already kind of did what are you watching, listening to, reading. But are there other things that... What are you watching, listening to, reading that you want to put out into the world? And people answer this in all kinds of ways. Everything from brain candy, which is usually mine, to, like, deep books or read. Whatever, whatever is in your r- orbit right now. Watching, listening to, or reading.
1: Okay, so listening to... I am putting together this... Um, so it's Pandora. Um, I My favorite song is Groovy Kind of Love. It's an old school song. Yeah. And so I just, I started, I put in Groovy Kind of Love and it's given me all this old school music that is just so beautiful. Uh, so I to that every night um, with Michael Bolton, Atlantic Star. <laughs>
0: like, Michael oh, Bolton. I yeah. wonder if we're around the same age.
1: Well, I'm 41.
0: Oh, I'm way older than you.
1: I think I, I I developed my love for really old school music from my mom. Oh, okay. Because that was her thing, like, and I I grew up listening to all these old tunes, and I love it. So when you
0: bust out I, Atlantic Star, I mean, you know, I was just uh, I just put together a list of Stevie uh, um, Wonder's "Pastime Paradise" on Spotify, mm-hmm. and it just did "Pastime Paradise" radio. Oh my gosh, what comes out of that was because this is so funny. My kids were listening to Gangster's Paradise at one point, and I'm like, you know, that's not the original.
1: Right. And, right.
0: and they were like, what? And I'm like, oh my goodness, yeah. what have I done wrong?
1: What have I done no. wrong? No, no, I yeah. love it because my kids, same thing. Like every time there's a song that is kind of a remake, I take them back to the original. Yeah. yeah
0: I so remember I, uh, I when they were message. listening, when they, when they, um, how, who was it, sampled, um, Fantastic Voyage from Lakeside, and uh, I started rapping with it, and my kids are looking at me like, "You listen to this?" I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> let let me take you way back."
1: Let the lessons begin. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Let me take you way back to the Fantastic Voyage because this is yeah. So okay, so you're listening to that? That's that's awesome. Groovy kind of love. Uh, yes. Other things you're reading or watching these days.
1: Um, reading, not really, because I'm still working on you know my relationship with God. So I do my devotion every evening. I set I have a timer and alarm to go off. So I do my devotion. So I read my Bible every evening. Awesome. Um, and then yeah, I listen to my little old school groovy kind of love music <laughs> at night.
0: <laughs> I've been a good. I'm, I'm totally after this. Gonna go pop, pop in groovy kind of love and see what spotify tells me about the radio on that that did see um i bet it's a i i will say i am not a huge michael bolton fan I mm-hmm. for some reason I, I i know all the songs don't be wrong and i'll <laughs> sing them out loud in the car if they come on but like for some reason i just i just he was so much he was just so much that like everything so much i yeah he overwhelmed me i think that might have <laughs> been it I love it. I love it. Uh, but, but anyway, um, thank you so much for hanging out. Um, good luck thank on your book on the it's you know on the sales and all the movement and all the things you're doing. Um, <laughs> it's been a pleasure to have you on.
1: Same here. Thank you so much.
0: You're welcome. All right, you all, thank you for listening to another episode of BRC and Friends. Uh, I will have all the links and everything uh, for Alyssa's books and movements and organizations and things we've met. We've put, I'll probably put a link to some Friends episodes, who knows, uh, just to, <laughs> just to throw that in there. The, the, yep. It's turning into paste. Oh, no. Anyway, um, <laughs> And so uh, do all the things you need to do. Y'all you know, go to the podcast places, wherever you're listening to this, rate, review, subscribe, all that. We have some great episodes, more authors and activists and athletes and things coming up. So again, thank you for joining me and we'll see you next week on BRC and Friends. BRC and Friends was hosted and produced by Bruce reyes Chow, Co-hosts were Jorge Bautista, Mickey Scott Bay-Jones, Amy Kim Carambas-Parks, and Laura Monaco-Heifetz. And the theme music was composed and recorded by Marissa Magdell Feel free to connect with any of us via the show notes. And lastly, please don't make me beg. Take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to BRC and Friends wherever you listen to podcasts. Until the next episode, thanks for listening to BRC and Friends.